you would go ahead and find the book of Proverbs and your copy of God's Word. We're going to focus our attention there. For quite a while now, um, maybe a couple of months, Proverbs has been our family uh, Bible study uh, text, and we look at whatever text is the proverb of the day. There may be some of you who have a proverb of the day reading plan. Billy Graham had for most all of his adult life a proverb of the day reading plan. On, on the first day of the month, you read Proverbs 1. On the 10th day of the month, you read Proverbs 10. It's a pretty straightforward plan. And there's such wisdom there. And uh, I, so I was saved and baptized at Double Springs Baptist Church in Mabin, Mississippi. And a man named John Foles was my pastor. John's still the pastor over at Bethel Church in, uh, outside of Birmingham in, in a little town called Dora. M most, you're accustomed to, you listen to, whether you pick up on this or not, most preachers cite Paul all the time. Like, you find yourself, when you're talking about someone else, struggling to not call them Paul. Well, my pastor cites Solomon like most preachers cite Paul. He's, for whatever reason, has always been attracted to the wisdom sayings of Solomon and uh, even the Song of Solomon. And I, so I'm fascinated with the book of Proverbs and the direction that it provides us with for life. I, we touched a little bit on Proverbs last Wednesday. We we're talking about the Psalms, and there are some Psalms that are proverbial. They are Proverbs. It comes from the same genre as uh, the book of Proverbs itself. And I, we're reflecting on that a little bit, and I, I'm convinced that this country, that the world needs the book of Proverbs preached to it. And, and, and not just with some of the big issues that we have, but the, the smaller issues, the interpersonal relationship issues that people seem to struggle with. The, the general inability of most people, it seems, to interact in a normal, healthy, acceptable, appropriate way in society. These are issues addressed by the book of Proverbs and addressed in such a, a, a straightforward, uh, clear, concise way that they're not debatable. In fact, a, a proverb is a succinct and persuasive saying proven true by experience. You don't need evidence to demonstrate the truthfulness of a proverb. You just need one eye and half cents, as my grandma used to say. Proverbs are self-explanatory. It's pretty clear um, the truthfulness of, of the proverb. Now, one of the things that makes the book of Proverbs difficult to preach through, and one of the reasons you don't hear preachers in general preaching often from the book of Proverbs, is because it is comprised of Proverbs. There's, there's not the structure there in the book of Proverbs that we're accustomed to with New Testament books or even historical books in the Old Testament. You have this sort of shotgun approach where a variety of topics and themes are being addressed in a, in a very short order. And so it's difficult to, to look at that in a systematic way, and it's very labor-intensive to do it. A few years ago, I went through the book of Proverbs and color-coded in my Bible the various topics or themes that appear in the book of Proverbs. And what began to be clear is that although there are a variety of issues that are being addressed, they're really just a handful of major themes or topics that are touched on in the book of Proverbs. They're pretty broad categories, but just a handful of major themes. So we're going to talk about three of them in the time that we have together tonight. And I hope that you'll be refreshed by and encouraged by the simplicity of the Proverbs 
and the and the the practical nature of the Proverbs. These are not far off distant conceptual truths that we think about intellectually but don't have bearing on our life. Th these, these Proverbs touch us where the rubber meets the road. Like we're, th these, these Proverbs stand to influence the way we live our life on an everyday basis. And here's, here's the three themes that we're going to address here tonight. The book of Proverbs talks about relationship and social skills. I've put next to that taming the tongue. One of the tricks to relationships and social skills is taming the tongue. We might separate those two as two distinct categories, but they're usually pretty closely connected in the book of Proverbs. A second is marriage and family, and we could even separate that into two categories. We could talk about marriage on the one hand, and we could talk about family on the other, specifically uh, rearing children. And then the third is business and finances. At its core, the book of Proverbs, and I, I like this language. It, this comes from a friend of mine. We were discussing Proverbs a month or so ago. At its core, the book of Proverbs is about ethical capitalism. That is the financial system that the Bible advocates for, ethical capitalism. And, and, and both extremes in our country could stand to hear the message of Proverbs from those who are foolishly crying out for a socialistic, socialistic system that has never worked in the history of humanity and will not work here, to the greedy capitalists who, who seem to be creating the reaction on, on the other end of the spectrum. Ethical capitalism is the financial system. It is the societal structure that is advocated for by the Bible. You might be interested to know that that's not just a Christian observation. That's a, that's a customary observation by scholars of every stripe. Even the most avowed atheist acknowledges that the biblical system is, is an ethical capitalistic system, and that is the system upon which um, our, our country was established. So we're going to see those three themes. There are other themes that we could talk about or emphasize. We're probably doing ourselves a disservice in not talking about wisdom as a point of focus in the book of Proverbs. In chapters 6 through 8, wisdom is personified. Lady wisdom calls out in the street. Lady wisdom there is a representative of, of God. Wisdom calls out in the street. It's, it's a, a feminine personification, but it is a personification of, of God. And God, in his infinite wisdom, wisdom that was before the foundation of the world, is crying out as a lady in the street saying, Come to me, come to me, come to me. Wisdom would have us to hold her hand. And yet the fool rejects wisdom out of hand. Wisdom is a major focus in the book of Proverbs. But each of the three themes that we're going to talk about here this evening are component parts of wisdom. Now, in our culture, when we think about wisdom, we typically think about intellect. But you can have all of the intellect in the world and be a fool according to the standards of Proverbs. You may know someone who's just like that. We're not so much dealing with, again, these far-off distant concepts that might be mastered by those with a high intellectual acumen. We're talking here about the basic principles of life. You can be as smart as a whip and foolish about the way you conduct your life, your business, your relationships. Wisdom 
is to implement our intellect in a godly, in a righteous way that is fruitful and productive for us personally and that brings honor and glory to the name of Jesus at the same time. In your personal life, the book of Proverbs has a word for you. In your family life, the book of Proverbs has a word for you. In your business life, the book of Proverbs has a word for you. Some of the most successful businessmen that I've had the privilege of getting to know over the course of my Christian life are men who structured and who ordered their business according to the standards of the book of Proverbs. You might be shocked. If you'll read carefully through the book of Proverbs at the number of times that business and finances appear in the text. There was, a, there was a, a friend of mine who was interviewing for a PhD program in Old Testament, and he was asked, sort of off the cuff, what's your favorite book in, in the Old Testament? And his response was, Proverbs. And his interviewer immediately responded, oh, you want to be rich. He assumed that because of the focus in the book of Proverbs, and, and my friend and I were talking about how this changed his perspective on the book of Proverbs. Now, you ought not go to Proverbs because you want to be rich. But I can tell you this, it's not going to hurt you in your business dealings to go and to implement the principles that are set forth in the book of Proverbs. So without further ado, let's jump into the first, relationship and social skills or taming the tongue. And here are four things that are called for with regards to relationships. If you want to have healthy social interactions, you want to have good relationships, and I, I, I love some of these passages. It's going to require us switching around and turning pages pretty quickly, but I want us to look at all of these passages that we have listed on our page as much as we possibly can. Many of them won't require a great deal of commentary. They'll be very, very straightforward. The book of Proverbs calls upon us, if we're to have good, healthy relationships, if we're to tame the tongue, to be first honest, second to be encouraging, third to be wise, and then fourth to be quiet. Look at Proverbs 4 and 24. Proverbs says, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly and don't let your lips talk deviously. If you're going to have good relationship, you're going to have to be honest. You're going to have to tell the truth. Just, just be honest. If you expect to have good friendships, if you expect to have a good relationship with your spouse, if you expect to have the trust of your children, if you expect to have friends in the workplace, you're going to have to be a person of integrity, a person of honesty, a person who will tell the truth. I saw an old uh, Johnny Carson skit this past week. Maybe you'll find this as funny as I did. It, Johnny's been gone for a long, long time. I can remember as a small child watching Johnny Carson and the heartbreak that would come with staying up that late and Jay Leno was filling in and, and it just ruined the whole show. That was in my early childhood. The skit was a presidential candidate who was hooked up to a lie detector machine that buzzed every time he told a lie. Now that's the kind of presidential debate I'll sign up for. I will be tuned in as will all of America. If you're gonna have the trust of those around you, you're gonna to have to be a person of integrity, a person of character, a person of honesty. The second thing described here is, is being a person of encouragement. Be encouraging in Proverbs 12 and 25. Let, let's look at honesty. I'm getting ahead of myself. Go over to 12:19. The proverb says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only a moment. 
It's a, it's a proverbial reference to the reality that you'll only be able to maintain or manage your lies for so long. Eventually, the house of cards come tumbling down. Truth, truth and time are not on your side if you're a person given to deception. Proverbs 13.5 says, The righteous hate lying, but the wicked act disgustingly and disgracefully. If you're a person of righteousness, you know how frustrating it is to be lied to. There are few things that frustrate me any more than being lied to. Maybe the only exception is to be stolen from. But here the proverb describes what we feel in our heart when we're deceived. In Proverbs 19.5, we have one last word with regards to honesty. A false witness will not go unpunished, and one who utters lies will not escape. In due time, your sin will always find you out. It's seldom the case that we get caught or we get in trouble the first time or the only time that we do something we shouldn't have done. You know that by experience. With regards to lying, the, 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 the principle here is that eventually what has been whispered in secret will be shouted from the rooftop. So we're to be honest. Secondly, as I mentioned, getting ahead of myself a moment ago, we're to be encouraging. Not only do we guard ourselves from saying things that are dishonest, we guard ourselves from saying things that might not be beneficial, helpful, or encouraging to those around us. You, you can be a truth teller and be the most depressing somebody any, anybody ever thought about being around. It, this is a Philippians 4, 8, and 9 thing, right? Meditate on the good and praiseworthy things. Let that be uh, the focus of your attention. In Proverbs 12, 25, the Bible says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Be the kind of person that people look forward to seeing. Not a person of gloom and doom, but a person of... And I'm not talking about not living in reality. I, I've met a few of those folks. But i got to tell you, in our culture, being, having a Mary Poppins mindset is not nearly the threat that the gloom and doom and constant discouragement seems to be in our world today. In Proverbs 16, 24. The Bible says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste, and health to the body. Now these are proverbs, right? So they're not promises. That means they're not ironclad, fixed in cement. They are proverbially true. They are generally true. And I, I, don't, I don't know how it might work, but I think that this particular verse is on to something, that there is a connection between how we allow our minds to run and the physical health of our body. If you're a gloom and doom person, it seems by experience, at least anecdotally, that soon after your physical health and well-being will follow after your mental gloom and doom. Here the proverb says that pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. There's something to be said for a good dose of optimism and encouragement. In Proverbs 25, 11 and 12, one last word with regards to encouragement the Bible says a word spoken at the right time is like gold apples on a silver tray a wise correction to a receptive ear is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold saying the right thing 
with the right tone at the right time has the power to turn an individual's day. In fact, it has the ability to turn the masses, a word fitly spoken. All over the Bible, but especially here in the book of Proverbs, there are references to the power of the spoken word. And I don't mean something mystical about that. I just mean the ability that you have to raise the spirits of a friend, a neighbor, to change the atmosphere in your home or your workplace by saying the right thing and refraining from saying the wrong thing. Be encouraging. In Proverbs 26, 4 through 6, there's a word with regards to speaking with wisdom. Verse 4 says, don't answer a fool according to his foolishness or you'll be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his foolishness or he'll become wise in his own eyes. The one who sends a message by a fool's hand cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. So you have two verses that seem to be contradictory, right? Don't answer a fool and do answer a fool lest he be conceited or puffed up. Now how are you going to know the difference between those two? The answer is wisdom. It's discernment. It's spiritual maturity. It's walking in the spirit. There's a time, there's an hour, there's a place to rebuke the fool. And then there's a time to fold your hands and continue on down the road, like on Facebook. Y'all track it with me? There's somewhere, have you, have you ever met anybody? Have, have, do you know of anybody in the world who has ever had a political opinion changed by a Facebook post? And you, and you should have the discern, and, and, and yeah, you know, you're going to have to advocate for a variety of political positions. And in our day and age, ethics and Christian values are intermingled so much. I think it's foolishness to talk about divorcing ourselves from politics. There's no place for that. That's, it's, that's not reality. But there's a way to engage that is wholesome and helpful that advances the kingdom and kingdom causes and kingdom values. And then there's a way to just make yourself a porcupine who may have some really good stuff, but you're too prickly to ever get very close to. Be wise about your speech. It's not just about telling the truth, because that's what we like to say, right? We beat our chest. We tell the truth. It's a, it's a, in the South, it's a virtuous thing to be a person that always speaks his or her mind. And I just got to tell you, that's in conflict with what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that the, the righteous person is a truth teller, yes, but he or she has the wisdom to know when to speak and when to be quiet, the right tone, the measurement for saying what ought to be said in the right setting. So, so be cautious that uh, in exercising Southern virtues, you're not coming into cross odds with the teaching of the Scripture. Be wise. And then fourthly, this is a good principle, just be quiet. In Proverbs 18.3, the Bible says, when a wicked man comes, contempt also does, and along with dishonor and grace. I think that's a verse misplaced in your outline. Proverbs 21, 23 says, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. There is, I don't know if it was Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain who said it, but in either case, the proverb was right. It's better to be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and prove it. Does anybody know if that was, was that Lincoln or Mark Twain? Twain. That sounds more like Mark Twain than Abraham Lincoln, but either way, it works. 
This is essentially what Solomon is saying here in the Proverbs. This goes to the whole idea of being wise about our speech, knowing when to speak and when not to speak. Proverbs 29, 11, the Bible says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man holds it in check. There's no rule that says that we have to air all of our grievances for the world to hear and see. Like if you have a bad experience publicly, it, it really does happen and it counts in human history if you don't put it on social media. Like if you never mention it to anybody, it still happened. It's, it's like it's real. Now we, if we don't put a picture of it on something, then it didn't happen. But in reality, it really does. We don't have to give full vent to our anger all of the time. There's a time to speak and, and to express our frustration or righteous indignation at something that's unfolding in the world around us. But man, there's value in just being quiet and, and giving thought um, to our frustrations, the legitimacy of those frustrations. And here's what I find in my own personal experience. When I feel compelled to say something and I'm angry, Often when the anger subsides, it seems completely unnecessary to say that thing I felt so compelled to say when I was in my fit of anger and frustration. I'm working through that personally. Maybe you are too. In Proverbs 29:20, 20, the scripture says, Do you see a man who speaks too soon? There is more, more hope for a fool than for him. So this is, this is the way this kind of rash, off-the-cuff expression of anger and frustration is expressed in the Proverbs. And just one more verse in chapter 20 and verse number 19, and we'll move into the next theme. The one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. We could probably read a lot fewer of these Proverbs and you'd get the gist, but I want you to, I want you to hear and, and get a real sampling of the simplicity and straightforwardness of these Proverbs. This is one such example. If someone confides in you a secret, be a keeper of the secret. Now, here's where I'm guilty. I get excited about, like, I probably shouldn't have told y'all about this whole foster care situation, just to be honest with you. But I was happy about it, and I, I was enthusiastic about it. And, and in my own personal, war, personal system, there's some latitude for that, and maybe some grace and mercy and forgiveness. I think the one that grates on me the most and the one that I think most people are guilty of is this sadistic excitement that comes with knowing something someone else doesn't know. And we cannot wait to go and make sure someone knows that we know something that they do not know. <laughs> what the scripture calls for here is discretion. To be a good keeper of secrets and in doing so, you'll be a better friend, you'll be a better husband, you'll be a better church member, you'll be a better colleague, a better co-worker, you'll just be a better person in general. Now this is not all that the scripture has to say with regards to relationships. There's, there's a, a boatload here that the Bible says. Um, but but it's, a, it's a decent sampling of what Solomon has to say to us with regards to being good friends and neighbors. Now, the second thing that I mentioned to you a moment ago is, is marriage and family. And I really wish that we would have the time tonight to be able to work through 
those, that category as two individual categories because there is incredible wisdom in the book of Proverbs with regards to rearing children. I find myself encouraged and convicted often in reading through the Proverbs and thinking through my own family's life. One of the first things that Proverbs makes clear, in fact, it's one of the first things that the Bible makes clear, is that we need friends. We need relationships. We've experienced over the past six months of isolation and quarantine that we are not made for that. In fact, God within the Godhead itself, three persons in one, has enjoyed fellowship since before the foundation of the world. And a part of what it means to be created in the image of God is to be created in such a way that we are hardwired for fellowship, for friendship, for relationship. One of the first observations that God made concerning mankind, his creation, was this. It is not good that man should be alone. We need friends. Look at Proverbs 30, verses 29 through 31. Verse 29, the Bible says, Three things are stately for anything, a strutting rooster, a goat, and a king at the head of his army. The Proverbs make reference to all of these stately figures. The lion who prowls about, it doesn't back up from, from anything. The, the rooster created by God in this extraordinary way to call attention to itself that struts in this stately manner. And a king who has the support of his army, a king whose men are with him. The proverb is teaching us the value of togetherness, of being together. We are better together than we are apart. I was uh, listening to a gentleman uh, earlier this week who was sharing a sermon illustration from an experience in a closed country, a, a country where missionaries are not permitted and uh, the Christian church is not allowed and there are great limitations on the gospel. But he was taken there um, by a believer um, and, and was introduced to this Christian bookstore in a closed country. And he looked around and he saw all kinds of books. And, and I thought it was going to be an illustration about how we're we're exporting bad theology to other countries. It wasn't that at all. He listed off authors. They were all, all men that I enjoy listening to, have been encouraged and challenged and, and helped by. And I, I was sort of wondering, where, where's he going here? And the local believer scanned the shelves and, and explained, there's good theology here. The gospel is here. But what you'll never see represented in this Christian bookstore in a closed country is any reference whatsoever to the church. Because the state knows that the independent Christian is no threat. But when the church organizes itself, the power of that body with its own identity in the gospel of Jesus Christ is understood to be a threat, a direct threat to the state. We are better together than we are apart. But we, just, we just are. So we need friends. We need to be together. Um, we need to be friendly. We need to learn how to be friendly people. A lot of us need some real lessons on how to be friendly people and to be cordial and hospitable. And, um, and, and this is more than, than what we might ordinarily think of when we think about uh, friendship or friendliness. This is to say that we need to give ourselves to certain practices and guard ourselves from others in order to foster 
godly relationships. You're going to like some of these. Go back to Proverbs 3 and verse 28. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow when it's there with you. Don't, don't delay, in other words, offering support or help or withhold anything from your neighbor that you might be able to provide in that moment. Proverbs 17, verses 14 and 15, the scripture says, to start a conflict is to release a flood. Stop the dispute before it breaks out. This is just wisdom. Understand the danger of conflict and turmoil. I hate conflict and turmoil the better description perhaps the the more descriptive term is i just hate drama do y'all hate drama i just hate that and so if i get the chance to cut that off early and to know i don't have to now deal with something down the road i'm going to opt to cut it off early every time now some people love drama they thrive on they cannot live it it is oxygen to them do not be that kind of person. That kind of person is the fool, according to the book of Proverbs. Rid yourself of drama. It's good for your blood pressure. It lowers anxiety. And people will generally like you a lot more than maybe they do at, at the present. Proverbs 17 and verse number 9 says, Whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Again, you don't have to tell everything that you know just because you know it. In Proverbs 24 and 29, the scripture says, Don't say, I'll do to him what he did to me. I'll repay the man for what he has done. So this is like a typical masculine thing, right? I'll show him. I'll get him back. Y'all look spiritual if you want to until somebody says something cross to you at Walmart or cuts you off in traffic, and then you're just like I am. I know you. But don't say in your heart, the Bible says, I'm going to do him just like he did me. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. He's got it well in hand. He can take care of it. He always has, and he always will. In Proverbs 25, 17, the scripture says, seldom set foot. Oh, I love this. This is the kind of counsel that I want you to know you can find in the book of Proverbs. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Otherwise, he'll get sick of you and hate you. <laughs> this would make one of those, you know, the things they used to crochet Bible verses and hang them up in various places. This might be a good one for beside your door at home if you have a troublesome neighbor. You see how practical this is? Now, I'm never going to take a Sunday morning to preach on Proverbs 25, 17 and not pestering your neighbors. But if you don't understand this principle, nobody will like you. You will not have friends, and consequently, you will not be an effective messenger of the gospel of Jesus. You see how rich the book of Proverbs is? How, and, and I know this seems like common sense to the overwhelming majority of us here. These are kind of things that we, we know by experience. We know them by intuition. But I'm telling you, there is an army of people out there who do not understand the teachings of the book of Proverbs and apparently do not have common sense either. These are good, practical insights for how to best interact with the world around us. And one of the reasons why you feel as though this is intuitive, it's just common sense, 
is because you've had the benefit of growing up in a culture that at least has had some value for Christian principles and has oriented itself around the teaching of the scripture. You have benefited greatly from osmosis, from the culture. Although we are living in a wicked age, there are some pluses. There's a foundation to glean from and to be helped by. And I, I hope that you'll be aware of that and grateful for it. In Proverbs 26, 17 through 19, the Bible says, A person who is passing by and meddles in a quarrel that's not his is like one who grabs a dog by the ears. Sometimes you just let it be. You just, you just let it go. I, I learned one of the best lessons I ever learned for settling disputes in ministry from the television show Cops. Y'all remember that show? <laughs> and the officer said, the most dangerous situations that we deal with are domestic situations. You go in and they're abusing one another. You seek to break it up and they both turn on you. This is essentially the principle that the proverb is teaching us here in our text. We need, to be, we need friends and we need to be friendly. The last thing I'll say about this topic, and we've got to move quickly here, is we need the right kinds of relationships. Let's look at Proverbs 12 and verse 26. A righteous man is careful in dealing with his neighbor, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. A reference to being selective about your engagements with your neighbor. We're not going to have time to go through every one of these, which I deeply regret. But there are further directions here as to how we are to go about relationships. Um, not the least of which is Proverbs 31, which speaks to the value of a godly wife. You need the right kind of friendships. You need the right kind of church relationships. You also need the right kind of, of spouse. I, I make an, an effort, a real effort at praying for the church daily. And not, and not just a vague generic prayer, but to pray for you by name. And as I get to know you better, I'm able to pray for your families and your spouses and your children and grandchildren by name. I'm able to put all the pieces together. And the, as I pray for you, I think the thing that I pray the most for your children and your grandchildren is that God would provide them with a godly husband or wife. There is no way to put a price on the value of a godly husband or wife. Pray that God would provide that for your children. Who can find a virtuous wife, the Proverbs say, for her worth is far greater than rubies or fine gold. You need the right kind of relationships. It's critically important. I would encourage you to chase down those references that we didn't have a, an opportunity to spend time with there. The third and last is business and finance, and it is everywhere in the book of Proverbs. Look at verse, or chapter 27, verses 23 through 27. Know well the condition of your flock. Pay attention to your herds, for wealth is not forever. Not even a crown lasts for all time. When hay is removed and new growth appears and the grain from the hills is gathered in, lambs will provide your clothing and goats the price of a field. There'll be enough goat's milk for your food, food for your household and nourishment for your female servants. Do you know what's being described? Planning, labor, work, 
effort, an investment of time, an investment of finances, an investment of, of effort, a, a careful consideration of what the future is going to look like for you, a calculation of what's going to be required for me to maintain my life and to provide for the needs of the family that God's given me stewardship over. It's amazing to me how many Christian people live from paycheck to paycheck, day to day to day to day. And I realize that in some ways we do have some freedom to take so much for granted. We are remarkably blessed living where we live, having the employment that we have, and all of the creature comforts that we enjoy. But hear me carefully, it can be taken away in an instant. And not only is it a Christian virtue that we would work for our, uh, our well-being, that we would labor to provide for ourselves and for our families. It is a Christian virtue that we would plan for the future of our families, that we would set aside sufficient treasure, make investments that are appropriate to providing for ourselves and for our families well into the future. Be certain that you're doing that. Work, work hard, yes and take a little dab of the fruit of that labor and enjoy yourself. The Proverbs say in another place that we're, we're due the fruit of our labor. That is, enjoy the fruit of your efforts. You ought to do that. But make certain that in the process of doing that, that you're storing up something that in the day of difficulty, when the famine comes, when the storm hits, that you're able to survive, to make it through. Surely God supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And one of his means for doing that is the ethical, capitalistic, financial principles that he's given us in the book of Proverbs. Be prepared. Secondly, be principled. Let's, let's skip through those for time's sake. And I, I want to tell you in essence what it says. Don't be a shady business person. There are dozens of passages about balance scales we talked about that just the other night with the boys looking through some of the proverbs that that uh you you want scales that are balanced here's what that means in the days of trading um in the old testament days the way you would weigh out what was being sold were on scales like the scales of justice that the lady with the blindfold holds outside the justice court the the scale would would tell how much was being purchased and that would dictate how much was being paid but if you wanted to be shady in your dealings, there was a way of weighting the scales such that it appeared you were selling them more goods than you were in reality. The Proverbs call on us to be principled business people, to do right by the customer, to do right by those that, that we're trading with. Just be a clean, ethical, honest, forthright businessman with integrity that's what the scripture and here's the deal you you will not get ahead by sleight of hands hear me you will reap as you sow there's there's no way there is there is no way around it there is no way around it you if you've been thoughtful about your financial life over the course of your Christian experience, and you've been at this thing for very long, you've experienced it firsthand, and in all likelihood, you've observed it in people who are close to you. You, you are not going to cheat the game. There's something about kingdom economics that over, overrules accounting practices and calculators and bottom line numbers. I don't know how it all works. 
But God has a way of balancing the scales even when we make an effort at tilting them in our direction. Be a, be a principled business person with regards to business and to finance. Be a provider. Proverbs 13, 22 says, just two more verses. We're going to move through these quickly. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. We talked about providing and being prepared a, a moment ago, planning for the future. Plan in such a way that you're able to be a blessing to the children that come after you as well. I, I think there's great value in that. We're not, we're not talking here about the kind of give, liberal giving to our children and grandchildren that enables them to be trust fund babies and knuckleheads. That's not what the Proverbs is talking about here. But, but it is an idea of, of, of making certain that we leave behind something that advances the ball for the children and grandchildren that, that we leave behind when our time is done. Fourth and lastly, be generous. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty four. Here it is. Here's this kingdom economics thing that I talked about a moment ago. One person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. I, I know there are times when the, the wicked seem to get ahead. That, that's the nature of celebrity in our culture, right? And, and I, I know how that can appear. And you can have your Habakkuk moment from time to time. How long, O oh Lord, how long? But in principle, especially when it comes to the people of God, those with clenched fist are far more likely to experience deep need than those with open hands. It's a, it's a kingdom economy kind of thing that I have no practical accounting explanation for. But I can tell you by personal experience, I've, I've, I've walked that road and God has been faithful to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And judging from the smiles on your faces, you've experienced the very same in your personal experiences. Aren't you glad for the Lord and for his goodness? And aren't you glad that all of the wisdom and all of the ethical righteousness the book of Proverbs directs us to is bound up and perfected in the body of his son, Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad for that? That, that, that the only one who ever mastered every principle, the Proverbs or any other command of God has ever put forward, died on the cross for our sin and rose again the third day that we could have life everlasting. I hope you're thankful for Jesus. And I, and I hope that you've been encouraged tonight or maybe just reminded tonight that Jesus is not just interested with our Sunday morning life, but, with, but what we do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, with how we interact with people, even with how, we, how and how often we sleep. Proverbs has a great deal to say about the sluggard and laziness and, and sloth and, and gluttony and a litany of other issues that are real pressing issues for us if we'll give our attention to the teaching of God's Word. I hope you've been helped and encouraged, and I hope that you'll spend time with the book of Proverbs. You won't be sorry that you did.